0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Christmas Story Unpacked. Praise the Lord, I want to take some time this morning to unpack the Christmas story, so to speak to study it in a little bit more detail because many times when we do just a surface reading of the Scriptures, we miss some of the nuggets of wisdom and some of the profound truths that are hidden in the text. This is especially true of the Christmas story. So as we read through Luke's account of the Christmas story, let's keep an eye out for things we haven't seen before or things we haven't thought about before. Amen? Some of the things I'm going to pass on to you, I learned from Rick Renner. Some of them I learned from my own study of the Bible. Some I learned from Kat Kerr. Bottom line, I think you'll enjoy the Christmas story unpacked. And I'll give you some things to think about as the Christmas week unfolds this week. So let's get right into the beginning with Luke chapter 2 in the English Standard Version, starting at the very first Verse. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 to kick this off. Amen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child and while they were there the time came for her to give birth so let me break some things down so far cuz there's a lot going on here in these first few verses the whole roman world was told to travel to the place of their birth, the place of their lineage, so they could be registered in a worldwide census. I mean, the whole world, the whole known world at the time, the Roman world, was mobilized. The whole purpose was to assess the tax revenue that could be raised if the whole Roman world were taxed. It was a massive mobilization and one that was very rare. So one of the things we can learn right off the bat is very prophetic. Think about it. Mary was about to give birth to Jesus, and the prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary lived 80 miles away in Nazareth of Galilee. That's about a four-day trip with animals. So God used the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus to get Joseph and Mary to the right place at the right time for Micah's prophecy to be fulfilled. And I think that is awesome. He mobilized the whole world to get the word of God to come to pass at the right time, as the scripture says, when the fullness of time had come. Amen. Verse 7 says, talking about Mary... And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Here's some things I want you to note when you read verse 7. The tradition of some says that Jesus was the only son of Joseph and Mary. But if you study it out, in Scripture, Jesus had four brothers two of which wrote books of the Bible, James and Jude, and at least two sisters. That's why he's referred to in this verse as Mary's firstborn son. You can't very well be an only son if the Bible calls you a firstborn son. It's a logic that's hard to escape, but some try. Another thing that kind of gripes me, Many assume that Joseph and Mary couldn't get a room in the inn in Bethlehem because they were so poor. Now, while it is true that they ended up spending the night that Jesus was born in an animal stable, most likely a cave of some kind, and had to put him in a manger or a feed trough, but it wasn't because they couldn't afford a room. Think about it. Joseph cares about his betrothed, Mary. He puts her on a donkey. She's nine months pregnant. He's not going to trek across Israel 80 miles if he doesn't have the money to pay for a room when he gets there. Again, logic should dictate certain things. Also, most translations render the last part of verse 7 like this. They laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Some translations even say because there was no private room available for them. That says to me, he had the money to pay for a private room, but there were no private rooms to be had. So dispense with the tradition that Mary and Joseph were broke and poor. He had a thriving carpentry business in Nazareth of Galilee and employed his son as soon as he was able to work. Amen. The last thing I want you to see in verse 7 is this. It says they wrapped Mary's firstborn son in swaddling cloths. And that is very significant. And I want you to take a mental note of that right now. We'll get to it in just a minute. All right, let's talk about the shepherds and the angels, which we pick up here in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So here we see that the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. If you study the original Greek, this This passage paints a picture of a circular beam of light that shined down on and around the shepherds. They were encased in light. You know, one of the things that always comes to my mind when I read this story is the amount of angelic activity that preceded the birth of Jesus. It's stunning. You know, but most people in this day and age, they just tend to think that angelic visitations were commonplace during Bible times. Everybody saw angels. It happened all the time. It was just as stupendous to them as it would be to us for the angel of the Lord to appear and shine down a light that surrounded them with the glory of God. Amen. But the truth really is, after Malachi the last prophet to walk the land of Israel, there was a period of about 400 years where, as far as we know, there were no angelic visitations and no prophet in the land was there to bring forth the word of the Lord. Then, bam, when the fullness of time had come, suddenly angels went into action and started appearing to people because the coming of Jesus was drawing nigh. Amen. There was a burst of angelic activity. So we see that in this case, the angel and the light of God's glory took the shepherds totally by surprise. They had probably never seen anything like it in their lives. If it were such a commonplace occurrence to see angels and to receive messages from them, they would have been filled with great fear. They would not have been terrified. Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, I get the impression when I read this that This angel was excited to be able to bring such an amazing message of hope to the whole world. Verse 11 says, he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How many know he didn't say that monotone? He said it with emotion and he said it with joy. So, the Greek word translated here in verse 11 as Savior means deliverer. Jesus is our Savior. He is our healer. He is our Redeemer. But most of all, He is our deliverer. The word translated here as Christ means He is our anointed Messiah. The word translated as Lord means the one who is supreme. In authority, and indeed he was and is the king of kings and Lord of Lords, in other words, the angel was conveying to the shepherds a very great mystery that the little baby Jesus lying there in the manger was in fact God in the flesh in matthew one twenty three the angel tells Joseph that the son Mary was carrying would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That means He was the supreme authority in all the universe lying in that manger. He was God's agent of creation and created everything that exists in the universe as we know it. John 1.3 says that nothing was made that didn't involve Him directly. Everything that was made was made by Him, John says. And yet here He was, a tiny little baby, dependent on His mother and others to take care of His every need. Kind of hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? Nevertheless, by setting aside His godly attributes that were rightly His, And taken on the form of a man, even the form of a little baby that had to grow up to be a man, he set the ultimate example of humility for the rest of us to follow. Let me show you that in the Word. Turn with me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2. We'll read verse 5 through 8. I'll be reading in the New International Version. Not normally a fan of the NIV, but I like the way they say things here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not only was Jesus humble, but he was willing to give his life as a sacrifice for the plans and purposes of God to be fulfilled. If we're to become the person that God has called us to be, we have to have the same mindset and the same attitude that Jesus did. Listen, we need to balance our awareness of the strength, the power, and the life that lives inside of us with a humility that knows that without Christ, we could do nothing. We could be nothing. Here's a couple of examples. People say these kind of things all the time, but I like to say them with balance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but without him, I can do nothing. But thank God, I'm never without Him. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But not because of what I did. Because of what He did. Amen. And finally, because Jesus was willing to lay down His life for me, I lay down my life for Him. I dedicate myself to His purpose and His purpose alone for my life. Back to the shepherds. This is really cool stuff. Starting at verse 12. The angel said to the shepherds, And this will be the sign to you. Sounds pretty important, right? And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Remember, I said to make a mental note of wrapping the baby Jesus in swaddling cloths? Here is why it's significant. Listen to this. This is amazing. The land of Bethlehem is a very hilly land all around the village of Bethlehem, there are caves everywhere. And back then, they were used frequently by shepherds to house their livestock and feed them, take care of them. So keep that in the back of your mind. In those caves, swaddling cloths were used to wrap the legs of newborn baby lambs to keep them warm. So it was a sign that the shepherds would be familiar with because you could find these swaddling cloths in many of the caves that were found in that area including the one that I believe Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus stayed in that night. What I'm saying is that Mary wrapped the arms and legs of the baby Jesus to keep him warm after he was born, and the angels told the shepherds to look specifically for a baby who was wrapped up like a lamb. That is significant. I believe that's why they found him so quickly, After the angel of the Lord announced his birth. Also significant is this. There was a field in Bethlehem that they called the shepherd's field. And they still call it that today. But what's really fascinating to me is this. That field back in Jesus' day was dedicated to raising sacrificial lambs to be offered up in the temple in Jerusalem just five miles to the north. Not only would the shepherds find the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths, but they would make the connection that he was the promised sacrificial lamb of God. Isn't that amazing? Do a little digging in the scriptures and you can find some amazing things. What is it John the Baptist said when he first spotted his cousin for the first time in the flesh? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Glory to God. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now the word translated here as angel is the Greek word which means messenger and it's easy to see that that description fits this particular angel. But notice after he delivers his message that a multitude of the heavenly host appeared with him and began to give glory to God. If you break that down, that phrase, multitude of the heavenly host, in the original language, it basically translates like this. There was angel armies, too numerous to count, and they began to worship the Lord. Angel armies. And even though they were glorifying God, these angel armies were no doubt fierce in appearance, warriors with armor and powerful weapons, and it must have been a sight to see. Amen. How many seen that video of the Marines singing the days of Elijah? Kind of has the same feel about it. These men dedicated to be a fighting force to eradicate evil in the world. We're worshiping God. Amen. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. It's worth a watch. So another thing I think about, now that we know that they're warrior angels, in keeping with their created purpose as warrior angels, they were probably excited to see their commander-in-chief in the flesh for the first time. Hey, there's the boss. We answer to him. Because the Bible says that Jesus was the Lord of hosts. Michael, the archangel, was the captain of the host. And just like in the United States, the head military man in heaven reports to the commander-in-chief. Isn't that cool? Praise God. Hallelujah. Verse 15. Hastily went to find the child, and when they did, they started telling the whole world, the world around them, that Jesus the Christ had been born. Amen. They became the first gospel evangelicals. Amen. Getting the word out there that Jesus was born and he came to save mankind from their sins. Amen. Verse 18 And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, we should spend some time pondering in our heart just exactly what Jesus did when he came into the earth. We need to think about it. And when we do, we'll be thankful. We'll be grateful. We'll be saying, thank God you sent Jesus into the world to save me, to save the world. Verse 20 says, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amen. Amen. So I want to wrap this up. I know it was kind of short by recommending once again that you spend some time during this Christmas week thinking about why Jesus came. Get your focus off the gifts and all the trappings of Christmas and Put your focus on Jesus, the greatest gift of all. I want you to ponder in your heart what a wonderful Savior we have. Just like Mary did, just like the shepherds did. Realize that Jesus was born a little baby in the little town of Bethlehem, but he was born to be our sacrificial lamb. He was born to die so that we could live. So let me leave you with a scripture that captures the essence of what I just said. I've been drawn to these two scriptures. Everybody knows them, but I've just been claiming them for myself. John 3:16 and 17 in the King James says it so beautifully. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here's the part I like. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Christmas Story Unpacked. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, Come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 10.30 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.